This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Well, let's, I mean, let's have a look at 2021. We were going to do this at the tail end of last year, but we had our diaries uh, conflict and we couldn't uh, bring it together. Um, it, it was a busy year. Uh, a lot went on. Um, I guess, actually, one thing we didn't manage to talk about were the floods at the tail end of, of last year, which, whilst devastating for some, uh, there seems to be a general opinion that actually the, the stormwater system in Fielding coped quite well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Look, this was this was one out of the box to have two days apart flash thunderstorms that down absolute deluge of water. And in fact, Horizons are saying the amount of water that we dealt with was similar to what we had in 2004. But this time it came out of the sky, not so much from the uh, rivers and the stream, even though we did shut the floodgates. So, yes, there were a number of people affected and, you know, our hearts go out to those who spent the Christmas, New Year cleaning up um, and cleaning out their houses and their gardens, etc. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty happy about the way the system copes. Um, you know, you can always do better and people say, well, you know, why don't you um, spend more money and do more bigger pipes, etc.? Uh, but that's fine. If people want to pay the extra in rates to be able to do that, then we can. But... Um, they were flash thunderstorms, uh, and you know everyone has come together. And there's a few things we're following up. You know, there's a number of culverts that uh, were blocked, and we're following up who's responsible for those culverts, and making sure that there is a maintenance schedule for them, so that this doesn't happen again. Any idea on uh, what the cost was to to ratepayers for for that? No, we're still working through that at the moment. Um, of course, with Christmas and the festive season, our team's been away and not back on deck till next week. Um, so there will be a big debrief, um, and the, each of the sites affected are being inspected and information being pulled together. So don't have that as yet. Um, one other thing I noticed over uh, the festive period, um, I, I, um, I live in the country, so I have to take my recycling into fielding and <laughs> throw a hefty tarpaulin over it at this time of year so people don't, you know, draw the wrong conclusions. Uh, I'm, I'm blithely on automatic pilot to go to the re- recycling station and the sign up saying closed. You need to go to the new place, uh, another kilometre kilometre or two down the road. Uh, so, yes, we've got a new uh, transfer uh, station and uh, what are we calling them now? Resource recovery stations, not recycling stations. Yeah, resource recovery centre. It's all part of our resource recovery park that uh, we're setting up there based around the wastewater treatment plant. There's a number of other little uh, recycling, environmentally friendly um, projects going on. There's a few more on the books. But the Resource Recovery Centre, yeah, uh, and uh, hopefully you were impressed uh, with the new building and the service that's available there. The, 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 it's still still going through the setting up stage, a few teething problems, but um, much more accessible and, uh, yeah, and, and looking at how do we, the overall picture is about how do we reduce the amount of waste that people put out 
and what waste there is, how do we reuse and recycle? The uh, as I, I noticed as I drove past the old site going to the new one, uh, some very lovely houses uh, on that road. Was there any backlash from any of the ratepayers in that area at the thought of having to live next to this new centre? Uh, well, no. Over the years, uh, council has purchased the land that come become available around the uh, wastewater treatment plant. So they as you know, we made those decisions to buy those land uh, for the future, and already that show, that is paying off. So we don't have any direct neighbours around the, um, and I'm sure the neighbours that are on the other side of the road further down would be much happier with our new site and the way it's laid out and the way it's managed than the old one. So you say this is part of a, a bigger park, and I know last year uh, in our CEDA slot on the catch-up, we were speaking uh, to Central Demolition um, around their project with regards to recovering resources like concrete and things. Um, is that going to be part of the same complex, and what else can we expect down the line? Uh, Central Demolition are already down there on site, recycling concrete, and the council already use that recycling uh, recycled concrete product in some of the work that we do around the place. That partnership is going incredibly well. Um, there's some composting uh, work going on there with contractors. There's a number of projects on the table that haven't got to um, anywhere near for discussion or decision yet uh, for the future. But our, the, the whole vision for, from our infrastructure team is to make that a resource recovery site and the other inquiry we've had from the community and very keen to look at is about community recycling, where volunteers can uh, pick up items that come into the, uh, into the site that could be upscale, you know, recycled and sold for, uh, with the profits going back into the community. So, you know, that's done quite successfully in the cities around the country, and so that's another one we're looking at. Now, you said, obviously, the wastewater treatment plant is there, all part of this complex, and, and it has to rear its head because this is something else we were going to talk about uh, last year. Um, the uh, Communities for Democracy, I believe it's called, the Councils for Democracy, uh, MDC, somewhat in a leadership role in uh, guiding uh, a number of councils that uh, represent over a million ratepayers um, to Parliament to protest the current Three Waters plan. Um, and, and to be clear, not protesting the intent, I understand, of trying to improve water quality, but the particular way that the government is is planning to go ahead. Uh, with the wastewater treatment plant in part of this com- complex, does this give you a handy place to pick it if the government decides to take it off your hands? <laughs> That's a good thought. Um, <laughs> yes, no, we... We're, we're very proud of the work that we've done. We've got 24 councils on board at the moment. Um, we know there's a number who are looking at this at their February meetings to join us. We had an awesome day in Wellington uh, in, in de- mid-December. We spoke to all of the political parties, including the, um, the minister, um, about our concerns on behalf of our communities. And uh, what we asked them was, we, you know, we, we said our purpose is to be constructive and uh, we accept that the status quo needs to be revisited and there needs to be more sustainable ways of funding and improving Three Waters. So we asked, could we come back in the new year and present our views in more detail and, and more importantly, 
alternatives that we believe will achieve the same outcomes environmentally and public health-wise that the government want. And we believe we can do that and show that without taking the assets off the people who own them. So that's the big thing. This has been mandated uh, without any consultation with the community, which was promised. And, and also it takes the local voice and accountability from the people who own these assets away. And we're saying we can do that. We can, we can achieve the same outcomes without, without all of that messy, complicated governance structure that's proposed. So we were listened to. Uh, all of the parties were um, very... In fact, the three, the three other party, political parties, ACT, Green uh, and National, all said that they supported what we were doing and uh, we, we also had a really good conversation with the Minister. And at the end of January, we've been invited to <coughs> present our, our views and our alternatives to the government's working party. So we're busy working on what those are at the moment. I mean, you, you put forward, uh, I'm sure, a very comprehensive and uh, um, um, impressive case for councils such as Manawatu District Council that has all the infrastructure in place, has a maintenance schedule, has kept things up to date and is doing a good job. But this is more about the councils that haven't got the ratepayer base or have have let things slide for too long and simply don't have the money or the resources or the wherewithal to upgrade their systems. This is about creating a level playing field for everyone, though, isn't it? It is, and it's about how do you do that. And there's, there's no hiding the fact that it does need a level of investment into infrastructure throughout the country. Our biggest problem uh, over the decades from success, uh, previous governments is that we haven't had any national standards. And this is something that this government has done. They've put into Mata ROI the national regulation. We absolutely applaud that. This is what we've needed, is standards that everybody has to meet. So the challenge now is how do we help and assist those communities who, for whatever reason, have underinvested and need to step up to the new standards? Having said that, you know, Manawatu still, we don't know what those new standards are going to be. Um, no doubt there'll be improvements that we need to make as well. But it's, it's no different to the roading situation. You know, um, the government assists communities around the country to help with uh, upgrading their roads and bringing those up to standard. And we're saying to the government, you know, let's have a look at that model and see if we can leave the decision-making locally, uh, have some regulations and standards in place, and, and some sort of funding structure to help those communities that need help. But the one thing that we, particularly Manawatu District, has been opposed to, our communities loud and clear said they don't want to subsidise other communities who, for whatever reason, haven't invested. But, I mean, they will be, won't they? Just not through their rates. They'll be doing it through their taxes as the government puts this pool aside to help the communities that couldn't do it otherwise. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I guess the taxpayer and the ratepayer are the same people, absolutely. But it's, but it's also about how do we, you know, there's other ways of, rather than subsidising it, there's, you know, there's loans to councils who need it. Um, there's, there's different mechanisms that we're having a look at to put forward. But the, the key thing is, yes, we all want um, sustainable funding options long term, but the key thing is all about retaining local democracy, not taking those assets off the communities who've paid for them and invested in them and who also want to have a say in how they're maintained. But like I say, having some regulations in place, a funding mechanism in place, 
in partnership with the government or whoever, then um, we believe that we can do that without this very complicated... And it's, it, to be honest, it's the way the government's gone about this that has really got the heckles up of the community. Um, so if if you go in and give your presentation, as you've been invited to do, and and you feel listened to, but at the end of the day the government decides to push forward with the current plan, uh, what's the next step? I think we'll find uh, that the, the community, the people of New Zealand will speak up, and that's what we've, we've passed on to the Minister, is that if she listens to the people, they are very angry about the way this has been managed and they just want to be listened to. Um, They want some consultation. You know, we were told that we would have public consultation. The government said, don't go and talk to your community, we'll do that later. Some of us did. Fortunately, we did talk to our communities and the message was loud and clear. You know, we want to have a say in this. We want our assets to stay with the people who've paid with them. Um, So it's more about sitting down round the table and listening to what the people are saying and if the government does proceed well be it on their head you know there's elections coming up next year and um, the, the the people out there this is this is a hot topic when you look at the number of submissions and feedback forms that we got this outstanding to have that number nearly 3,000 forms filled in and sent back by the community that shows that this is a hot topic we are here with Mayor Helen Warboys on the catch-up, looking at Manawatu District Council and uh, 2021 in review. Uh, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, head to the website mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Uh, we're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, turning to 2022, uh, Helen, um, it's an election year, a local government election year, uh, which is going to be quite exciting because uh, we're, we're bringing in Māori wards as well. Absolutely, yes. It's going to be looking forward to this year. Uh, there's a number of um, cool things, you know, carrying on with the projects that we've uh, we've uh, decided to proceed with and getting some of those big infrastructure projects to fruition. Mangaweka Bridge, you know, if you've been out um, out there to Mangaweka out by Awasadone, you'll see that the bridge is almost finished well ahead of time, so we'll be opening that soon. Uh, the new fielding bus service starts at the end of January, and uh, so really encouraging the locals to get out there and support that service if they want to retain it. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, really, really excited about this year in that, you know, even internally, you know, recently we've got a new CE, uh, we've got two new general managers in the, uh, in the community and economic development um, regulatory space, so you know, we're, we're doing some significant work behind the scenes about how does council get more involved in what, what's happening in the community rather than being seen as a council that just puts, you know, goes into contract with groups uh, to deliver outcomes. Still want to do that, absolutely, but to get more involved and partner and make everybody more successful. Um, kind of related to uh, the elections because uh, MPR and the Manawatu Standard are hopefully going to be uh, collaborating on election coverage this year. Um, what's the, going to be the state of play with the Little Theatre? Because we're, we're kind of hoping to use that as a venue. Is it going to be ready in time? <laughs> uh, well, I would like to hope so. We've approved, uh, we've approved the funding for the work to go ahead, so... 
uh, I guess it'll be subject to being able to find the contractors and the builders, etc., to do that work. Um, that's something I'll be seeking an update as soon as the team come back as to where we're at with that. Because, yes, you're right, we absolutely need to get that building up and running. Uh, we've approved the funding to do that, uh, so it's now just a matter for the team to get it underway. And, uh, I mean, well, how long have we gone? We've probably gone about 16 minutes without mentioning the pandemic, but sadly uh, we, we do have to. Um, obviously, uh, the country moved to the traffic light system at the tail end of last year. Has that all bedded in well with uh, Manawatu District Council, with, with, particularly with things like the Makino um, swimming pool and the, the library? Yes, it has. And, um, you know, we had we had people who that's their right to say that they didn't agree with what we decided was that the pool and the library both um, you have to show your vaccination pass to use those facilities. Um, the library does have online services so you can still use that but um, you know, number one was about protecting our staff. Uh, we owed that to our staff but also to protect the vulnerable and the elderly in our community and to do that at the pool was something that we felt that you just couldn't do. You can't wear a mask when you're swimming. Um, you can't keep the distancing that's required, etc. So, um, you know, we're quite comfortable with the decisions we've made. We've worked through a process with our staff um, and given them some time to feedback on what the proposed changes are. And uh, so, you know, I think we've we've been very responsible to the situation but you know and who knows just this week we've had a scare with you know um, locations of interest in fielding and as everybody keeps saying it's just a matter of time before it does actually hit our community. Indeed and at that point are you because during the the first lockdown Manawatu District Council in its own rohe were very um, very proactive in getting out and and helping the community I I remember hearing about staff and I think councillors at one point going out and doing like prescription deliveries and the like but in the second lockdown Ministry for Social Development very much took over that role and and Manawatu District Council were more in a just sort of uh, passing messages to and from the relevant agencies of interest. Are you in a position where you're going to be able to help if and when the the virus gets here or are you going to be in that sort of second lockdown space of just sort of mo- moving the messages around and making sure that the information gets to the right people? Oh, I think our role is definitely more than just um, passing messages around. The, the, the key link is with our welfare agencies and we we've continued that not on such a regular basis, but we will up we will up it if we need to. Um, having those regular Zoom meetings with all of the welfare agencies, um, food banks, police, MSD, you know, all of those key people who are out there doing a fantastic job. So, as you know, and we're flexible enough that as we need to scale up or scale down, we can do that. And it's really just understanding and getting the feedback, what's going on out there, what are the needs, where's the help needed, and then council using its um, its connections to see how we can help with that. And that's the same with MSD. We meet on a regular basis uh, with the regional leaders and the uh, DHB and MSD. So we're getting those regular updates. And our job is to take that information and go, so what can we do to help our residents?
And is this something that has persisted since that first lockdown? Are you maintaining those links with the community services to the extent that they are happy with and you are happy with? Because I think it was a, uh, unanimous across the country, really, that a lot of councils had to sort of rediscover those sectors uh, when the first lockdown happened. No, we have a regular... Um we have regular contact with all of our agencies and we do that through throughout the year anyway, regardless of COVID. It's just that when COVID hit, we were able to, to step that up and we were having daily Zoom meetings in those key lockdown periods uh, with our welfare agencies. Then it went to weekly, now it's monthly. Um, and I, because councils always had that connection locally and that this is the power of, of local democracy is we know who's in our community. We know who's working and who's helping. And also council provides funding to a number of community groups for priority services. So that connection is there. And, and I think that's what makes the difference between having someone knock on the door and saying, hi, you know, are you okay? As to trying to phone an 0800 number and talk to someone and hope that you might get some help. There's a big difference between that grassroots help. And I think that's where council, that's where our strength is. Mm. Well, hopefully uh, it won't be needed, although I strongly suspect that it will be at some point in 2022 as this Omicron variant and undoubtedly others uh, try and batter their way through MIQ in one way, shape or form. Um, but assuming we can get some semblance of business as usual for the, a large portion of 2022, what are some of the big ticket items that people can expect to happen? Uh, well, as people know, we've made the decision around the library, so very keen to get that work underway um, and get that expansion and upgrade of the library underway. People will be noticing around the CBD that there's, there's a, a few more buildings now being earthquake strengthened and taking the time over the festive season. The guys are getting stuck, seismic performance team, they're getting stuck into those buildings and I noticed... Uh, Another four um, had some structural work being done uh, over the holidays, so that's another one. The community facilities, uh, Council hopefully will have all of the information back to the table to make some really big decisions about what are the needs for community facilities, particularly around sport, recreation uh, for the future. So those are some big decisions that we have to make. Uh, the wastewater centralisation, just carrying on with that uh, project going into stage three and four, um, shifting the, uh, centralising the waste from our villages back to fielding. Uh, the Ohakia water scheme, you know, being able to turn the tap on for that one. We'd hope to do that before Christmas. There's been a bit of a hiccup um, with getting the parts that we need to treat the, the new water. Uh, so that's not that one's not far away. Uh, we're doing some work with the people in the Taruru Valley around a water scheme up there and improving uh, water access for them. So really keen to tick that one off as well. So there's some big projects in the pipeline. So it's not about adding new ones to it because uh, limited resources, both in, in people power and financially. Um, but it'll it'll be more of the same and um, some big decisions around some of those key things I've talked about. I don't want to sound like a stuck record, but I'm quite surprised that you're leading the charge in uh, opposing the government's three waters because, geez, oh, everything is to do with water there. The big wastewater centralisation, the, the Ohakia water scheme, the one up the valley as well. Surely you could do with that not on your books. 
Well, the thing is that, well, this is, again, about local democracy. You know, uh, we know our community. We know we know uh, how things work, and we work with the community. So, you know, a number of these schemes, particularly our rural schemes, we work with those local people, and they're invested in it as well, not just with their money, but, you know, some of those rural water schemes were actually literally put in by the farmers and the rural people. So... Um, and being able to, the Ohakia water scheme, you know, as a result of the PFAS contamination, the fact that we were there on the ground and then going to government and thumping the table and saying, come on, this, you've, got to, you've got to find a solution for these people. They cannot keep drinking contaminated water, nor their stock. So, you know, I'm very proud of the way that we've been able to um, grab some of those um, opportunities but also some of those problems and go let's find a solution together as a community and uh, and that's the power of local community and you could argue well yeah let's give it to somebody else to worry about but the reality is when you've got to phone someone and lord knows where whether it's Gisborne or Wellington or Nelson um, as the head office for the entity that's been proposed you know are you going to get that same great local service um, you know, I'm not saying what we do is 100% um, up there because there's always things to do, but I will guarantee when it's, you know, more than two steps removed from the local community, it's going to be much harder. And we've always said we're in a growth phase, so we're being proactive. Wastewater centralisation, some of that new growth work that we do, infrastructure for new homes, etc., that's all the proactive stuff that this community is invested in, and we want to keep doing that. And, you know, is that going to happen under the government's mandated model? I doubt it, because their interest will be getting everybody in the country up to the same standard. It's uh, good to see that there's some building strengthening and earthquake strengthening is going on in the CBD, because I remember not long ago uh, you were really uh, concerned that landlords weren't going to do this work because of, of affordability, but also as soon as you start working on a building, the clock starts ticking uh, to get everything uh, up to code. Um, what, what, what's caused the change? Uh, well, the key for us was... Um finding Arthur Morganston from Seismic Performance Limited, a company in Auckland who uh, um, Arthur came out from California having gone through exactly the same thing over there with his family who owned a number of heritage buildings. So he came out to New Zealand after the Kaikoura earthquake to help New Zealand um, and he's brought some different uh, methodology and some of the technology and the ways that they approach strengthening earthquake-prone buildings and um, so so finding Arthur was like a breath of fresh air. And the key difference with his team is that he employs everybody that is needed. So you're not subcontracting out uh, to the different uh, different parts of the building and having to wait. But more importantly, it helps keep the cost down. So um, we've found, you know, it has been tough getting the, the methodology and the way he works, getting it through and ticking all the boxes that needed for consenting. But, um, you know, we're through that now. There's relationships being built up between the consenting team, um, MB, that, you know, at the government level um, around the work that they're doing. And we're seeing the results of that now. So, um, and also seismic performance have, built, have brought uh, one of our old, lovely old heritage buildings in fielding with the aim of doing it up. So you know, they are committed um, to fielding and their team live here now. So... Uh, we're very excited about the work that's going on. And yes, you know, it's disruptive regardless of what method you use. 
but the long-term um, impact, like you say, the alternative was that we ended up shutting the CBD down as building owners walked away because it was just too hard. Mm. Well, that's good news, uh, and we will look uh, forward to 2022 and seeing some of these buildings uh, being more fit for purpose than they were in 2021. Mayor Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council, we're out of time this morning on the catch-up, but thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Pleasure. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We'll be back on Monday uh, with Wendy Carr from Fielding and District Promotions. Do join us for that. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the KiwiFruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.